Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are in chapter 44, where God continues his uh, presentation of being both just and gentle, but at the same time, he's going to address the main obstacle to their relationship, which is still their idolatry, that they will not trust God, but rather they trust in the idols that they have been worshiping, and also the idols of the land of Babylon that they are captive in. So we are in Isaiah 44, where God is going to be promising them uh, to remove them from this captivity. So let's, uh, Michael, if you'd read, uh, we've got a selection of verses, and Michael, if you'd read for us, that'd be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established the people and explained its future. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer and creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? I exposed the false prophets as liars and make fools of fortune tellers. I caused the wise to give bad advice, thus proving them to be fools. But I carry out the predictions of my prophets. By them, I say to Jerusalem, people will live here again. Into the towns of Judah, you will be rebuilt. I will restore all your ruins. When I speak to the rivers and say, dry up, they will be dry. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, once again, this is uh, something that is being told to the people of Israel while they are still in captivity, and Babylon is still in charge. Cyrus is this guy who is the head of the uh, Mede Empire that becomes the Medes and Persians together, and he's going to conquer uh, Babylon, but this hasn't happened yet. But God has now revealed that this uh, person that he's raising up from the north and the east, his name is Cyrus, and, and he will come. He will be... Um, basically uh, God's chosen one to free Israel, that he will tell them to not only rebuild the temple, but to move back into Jerusalem and settle back into uh, the promised land. Uh, and this is an amazing prediction given to them when they're sitting in the midst of uh, what to them is the most powerful empire in the world, the empire of the Babylonians. They can't imagine a future outside of that. And yet God is saying, it's going to happen. And I'm going to bring this about, and I'm telling you beforehand the way that it's going to happen. And in contrast to that, he says, you know, you continue to trust in idols. Well, actually, let me take a step back. It starts off here, again, with the gentleness of God saying, you know, Israel, my dear one. Uh, the, the word actually there is uh, Jeshurun, uh, which um, scholars are trying to figure out exactly what that means. They think it might mean like the upright, but whatever it means, it's it's like a, a pet name. It's like a, like when you would call someone... Uh, you know, honey or sweetheart or, or, or darling or something along those lines. Like it's a, it's a pet name, a term of endearment. And this is how God uh, refers uh, to Israel. Who would have thought something like that? You're, you're this conquered people in the middle of this empire. You've been uh, so shamed now for, you know, decades. And God's telling you that, no, your, your future is one in which people will want to follow your God and become part of your people, known to be part of you. And so this is something that they, they can't seem to imagine, but God is saying, I'm predicting it beforehand for you. I'm letting you know beforehand. And this is how you will know that, you know, God's saying, this is how you know that I am God and not all these carved idols. And the idols is kind of funny. He, he uh, Isaiah goes into this, you know, you take half of the wood and you use it to make a fire to cook your bread and your dinner. And then the other half you carve into an idol and then you bow down and worship that. But it's all the same piece of wood. One is just a tool and the other you're calling your God. And this is obviously from, you know, any uh, objective perspective is kind of ridiculous to put so much faith in this concrete kind of idol. Now, of course, I don't think most of us find the idea of a little statue or something appealing. I mean, you have kind of like comical notions of that, like say with professional baseball players who might have a particular, um, you know, object or totem or something that, you know, they believe gives them the luck that they need. But for most of us, that's really not part of our experience. But at the same time, idolatry is alive and well. It just looks different, maybe a little more abstract. Um, I love how Tim Keller puts it in his book, Counterfeit Gods. I'm going to, uh, I want to read this quote so I get it right. It says, um, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give what, uh, what you seek to give you what only God can give. Uh, another way uh, he put it in uh, the gospel in, in life, uh, gospel in real life is simply to think when you run into trouble, when you run into a challenge, when you run into uh, something that puts you out of sorts, what is it that you turn to first for security and comfort and purpose? What do you turn to, or what, you know, even in your imaginations, what do you think of that's going to give you 
the good life? Is it, you know, retiring with a lot of money that's going to provide you with all these creature comforts? Is it your, your family that's going to surround you with love and give you a, a legacy into the future, a kind of immortality? Uh, is it some reputation that you're building up that people will treat you a certain way or, or wealth or whatever it is? Or maybe it's, you know, a physical beauty, uh, status in, in certain settings, maybe even online. Is it the things that you turn to for, for comfort? Like maybe, you know, the ability to, uh, dive into your phone or your computer or surround yourself with screens so that anytime you feel off, you can just uh, numb all those feelings and feel good again, go into a, a, another world in a sense. Is it a substance? Whatever it is that you turn to, to receive what God promises to give, then that is your idol. You know, if whatever you turn to for the good life. And, and as I thought about that, I think for me, and I, I've shared this before, for me, my idol is uh, cleverness and hard work, especially cleverness, that anytime I run into a difficulty, uh, the challenge for me is to turn to God first and and to center myself in God and remember that God is with me and to begin with prayer when I face those kinds of challenges and ask God to be with me. Ask you know God to help me see that the ways that God is with me. But instead, my my impulse, my natural impulse, is to immediately turn to my cleverness to figure some way that I'm going to MacGyver myself out of the situation. That I'm going to create a solution. And sometimes, if I'm in a rush, it it sometimes doesn't even enter into my mind to stop and and turn to God. And that's why for me, a real big part of turning away from those kind of idols is to just be able to slow down, to have a slow start in the morning, to have a, a time of reflection where I can recalibrate and remember what is, you know, what are my roles? What are my goals? What are my purposes? And how are they all centered in God as I approach my day? Uh, Michael, I'm wondering what you see here and the ways that you've experienced idolatry in modern life. Yeah, I think what pops into my mind initially is like, I don't know if anyone else is asking this question, so I'm sorry if not. But it's like, why does God care about idols? Like beyond it being like in the Ten Commandments, like why, like what's it a big deal that some people makes, you know, back in the day make like figures out of sticks and and worship them? Like it kind of would just seem almost trivial. But then I think that dismisses like a big part of like who God is, right? That um, God isn't like petty towards these gods. Like really they don't matter to him, but because we matter to God, God doesn't want us to be worshiping idols because it's going to ultimately be destructive to us. And we can see that. Like, I think in the modern life, I think the easiest example is probably the phone, right? Um, similar to how, like in this, this, uh, 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 parable, he talks about like, you make, you know, you make the wood, you use it for your fire and then you make an idol and you worship. And it's the same thing with our phone. We turn to our phone, like, but then we like, we're like exhausted or anxious, but our phone actually creates more anxiety. Uh, and so it like, it, 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 it really plays into the same kind of motif. And, and I think that's why God is so adamant throughout scripture. It's not for him. It's not for God, right? It's not for God's sake. Like don't worship idols because I can't handle you doing that. I'm just like jealous and petty and whiny. No, that would be us. It's like, because this is harmful for you and I love you and I've made a covenant to like, have you be my people. And for me to not point something out that's going to be really destructive in your life would be like completely incongruent with who I am. It would be, and I, and I think that's so much of what scripture is. It's like when we remember that, like, like God's story to us is like, I love you. I care for you. Like you are my children. Like, okay, now it makes sense why these things are pointed out, even though I don't like them. Right. And I think of, um, my uh today i had i was trying to put my kids to bed and i always snuggle them 
Um, and my middle, she just wants me to snuggle her forever. Um, but then she gets really mad. And then my oldest like gets nothing. And I, it's just this whole, and I have to like, I have to remember like to be able to say to my, my three-year-old, like, no, this isn't okay. Like, this isn't good. Like you like, and she's three, but it's really important for me to teach her. Like, you have to be okay with me spending some time with your older sister too. Like they're, they're, you know, and Daniel Tiger, they say there's time for you and, um, and baby too, right into here. It's there's time for you and, and sister too. Uh, but it's just like, it's that same thing as a father. Like I could just be like, okay, I'll just snuggle you forever. Like, I'll just kind of like cozy up and not tell you, like give you any, um, any hard truth, but because I love my, my daughters, um, and my kids, I want them to know, like, no, like this is not gonna, This isn't going to be okay for you long-term. And, and I know it's not something you like to hear, but like for me to be a good father, for me to be loving, this is what I need to tell you. And then this is what I need to teach you and hope that you'll learn and, and grow and listen. Yeah. I think that's a good point that the, uh, the, why God is concerned about idolatry is because of the damage that it does to us. And one of the, the ways that it really does damage is not even just in itself, but what it's replacing. Uh, you know, in those moments of crisis, there's this opportunity to grow in faith with God, to be, to draw closer to God, to become, uh, allow God to transform you, to be more like God, more loving, to live in love more like Jesus does. There's all these ways that we can grow in faith and grow as people in those times, but that is short-circuited when we turn to whatever our idol is. We we solve the problem, but we miss out on, on the biggest benefit of the situation, which could be this closer walk this closer relationship with God. It's kind of like, you know, a real simple analogy would be, it's like turning to junk food rather than healthy food. It may not be that the junk food itself is that bad, but it's preventing you. It's filling you up in a way that you don't get the real nutrition that you need and it's stunting your growth and causing all kinds of health problems. If, if that if that example lands with you, maybe it's a good one to think about as we uh, turn to something other than God in our lives. Michael, I'm wondering if you have any uh, final thoughts and if you'd be willing to uh, close us in prayer. Yeah, plenty of final thoughts, probably not enough time for today. So I'll save them for another time and just pray for us. So. Okay. Yeah. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you are loving in a way that even we can't, like we can't even understand it. God, I pray that we, as we listen to your word, listen to your voice, would be receptive um, to letting you penetrate our hearts, to changing them and transforming them. God, I pray that we would look to you so that we can become more like you. Pray that we would see Jesus in our lives and then be able to show Jesus to others. It's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope you're able to go uh, today and, and be more aware of the ways that there are opportunities for you to draw closer to God and to not miss out on those opportunities. Go in peace.